Here we have the Apostle Paul. He told the elders of where he was going, and they said, Paul, don't go back to Jerusalem, because if you go there, they're going to arrest you. And the Apostle Paul, this church planner, here's what his reply was. And he says, I go bound in the spirit into Jerusalem. So the Apostle Paul knew what he had to go do. And so I introduced to you this morning our missionary family, and I know them, and they go bound in the Spirit. They are arrested by the Holy Spirit. They don't know everything that's waiting for them there, but they do know one thing, that Cape Town, South Africa is where they're supposed to go and minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, all of us here, you know, we should be bound in the spirit to do something and to caring for other people. We should be bound in the spirit to take the gospel and minister to the people, but we got to be bound in the spirit. But this morning, we want our missionaries to share with us why them and why Cape Town and, and how can we partner with them in taking the gospel to a place that we're probably never going to go. So these are our missionaries, and they have a short video here, and I like, like to just introduce right now. Let's go ahead and play that video, and let's get to know a little bit more about the hunters in Cape Town, South Africa. Cape Town has always been this really diverse city um, with a lot of influence from, from Europe, from Asia, and from other African countries. And it's, it's this wide range of people groups with rich and poor and black and white and different walks of life. And it's a city of almost four million people. And, and, and whenever you're there, it's this huge melting pot of people. And you feel like there's so many different aspirations and goals and desires and dreams. And if you think about it, there's really one need that all of us have, uh, no matter what walk of life you come from, no matter what your aspirations or goals or desires are, and that need is Jesus. We both grew up in Christian homes. Uh, I grew up in the church that my grandfather started in Virginia, and I kind of have always wanted to be a missionary since I was about six or seven years old. I was able to go to a lot of missions conferences and, and hear missionaries share their stories, and it was always so exciting to me. I, I, I kind of have always loved that, uh, the idea of being a missionary. I knew that Baptist Bible College was uh, one of the best schools at training missionaries, and so I decided to go there. In high school, I felt God was leading me to a Bible college, and there I studied elementary education. Um, I just love working with kids and teaching them. Um, and while I was at Bible college, God um, kind of directed me in the um, way of world missions. And um, it was only a few weeks later that I met Blake. During my time at BBC, I was able to take a trip to Botswana, uh, which is a country in Southern Africa. And uh, it was during that time that I really fell in love with uh, that part of the world. And I really felt God directing me uh, towards Southern Africa. I began researching large cities in the area and we took a survey trip to Cape Town, South Africa. And during that trip, we really felt that God was burdening our hearts for that city. There are almost 4 million people in the city of Cape Town. 47% of the city's population lives on less than $215 a month, which is about $7 a day. 24% of the city's population is completely unemployed, and 22% of families don't even live in a formal dwelling of any kind. Another huge problem in South Africa is the HIV-AIDS epidemic. Uh, there, there's an estimated 6.1 million people in the country that live with HIV, and in Cape Town alone, 18.6% of pregnant women were affected by this disease. 
God has really given us a sincere love for this city. On all of our trips there, we have just really fallen in love with the people. We've been able to hear their stories and really see the need for the gospel. Cape Town is like many large cities where people either kind of nominally belong to a certain religion or they just don't really have time for religion at all. It's our dream to start churches throughout the city of Cape Town and and really see people understand that Jesus is the answer that they're looking for. Uh, It's not religion or or fame or popularity or wealth or titles, uh, but Jesus is what their hearts truly long for. Jesus is the answer. We are so excited to get to Cape Town and with Megan being pregnant, having our little girl grow up on the mission field. But we can't do it without the support of people in churches like you. You can support us by praying for us, partnering with us financially, and coming to see us one day and what God is doing in Cape Town. I've always wanted to be a missionary, and I know that God is going to use us in His plan for Cape Town. Like the video said, I'm Megan Hunter. This is my husband, Blake, and Kinley's back in the nursery, hanging out back there with all your kiddos. Um, Thank you so much for having us today. We're very excited to be here. Um, I'm originally from, well, originally from New Mexico, but we got smart, moved to Dallas, Texas, so I'm a Texan. Um, But um, I don't want to repeat myself about um, things that we said in Sunday school this morning, but let me share a little bit about why Cape Town and... um, You know, I grew up um, in a Christian home, and like many of you guys, we have the privilege of knowing what Jesus did for us. And like the song was singing earlier, Jesus paid it all. And what a blessed hope that gives us, you know. And um, one time um, on one of our trips to South Africa, um, we got to be um, on the other side of the country. um, But I got to visit with this lady. Her name was Sis P. She had me call her that because I could not pronounce her name because it was in a uh, tribal language that there was some clicking involved. So she was gracious and let me call her Sis P. Um, And I got to visit with her um, cooking and everything else like that. And um, I just... asked her quite frankly so how did you become a christian and what's your testimony what what's what's your story and she said that the missionary um that we were visiting at the time um came to her and she lived in the slum area um and just helped her um with groceries and getting stuff in her house that day and started talking about jesus with her and she said that was the first time that i've ever known about jesus And that really struck me in thinking, you know, here we are in 2017 and people still don't know about Jesus. And um, I know what hope that brings me and I know what hope that might be for you. And um, to do life without Jesus, it just seems impossible. And um, I I feel such a burden to go back to South Africa. And um, even with those people that might know of Jesus, but to start that relationship with him and um, give their lives over to him. So that's our burden for South Africa. I'm going to hand the mic over to Blake and he'll tell you the rest. I'm going to steal the stand here if that's okay. Sorry, I'm messing up all your music, John. I'm so sorry, man. I'll try to keep it in order here for you. All right. So if he struggles during the invitation with his music, it's my fault. So just blame it on me. 
we, we love South Africa. Uh, we love Cape Town, and uh, we, we could talk all day about the needs that they have. There's so many social needs. There's so many uh, emotional needs, mental needs, uh, but man, there's no need that's as prevalent as the need for Jesus. It's the same here. You know, there, there's nothing more important than the need that all of us have. Every single person has for Jesus Christ. You know, we talked in the worship service about how we were born dead because of our trespasses and sins. We, we, we were born dead. And because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, we can now be alive. And that's the greatest need that all of us have. doesn't matter if you're rich or poor or black or white or whatever clothes you wear, or what school you went to. None of that matters as much as Jesus. Jesus Christ to your life. And uh, so, man, I hope that today uh, each of you has thought about that. What does that mean to you? How does it impact your life? What decisions does that lead you to make? Uh, Because you can't go through life and not consider it. It's just too important to do that. I'm just going to kind of share with you this morning something that has been a challenge to my heart, and hopefully it is to you guys as well. But all of us have a, a unique value system, right? We all have different things that are important to us. Some things are more important than others. Some things are less. And we all kind of make decisions based on that, right? Now, I love the North Carolina Tar Heels. Do I have any Carolina fans here? None. Wow. All right. Well, that's it for me, guys. I'll see you. Ten- I'm just kidding. I love them. Okay. I mean, I, I love them. And tonight we got a big game. We're in the elite eight. If we win tonight, we're in the final four. It's a big deal. I, I have seen every single game this year. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm like crazy about Carolina. Kinley's very first outfit was a North Carolina onesie because she's a Carolina fan, right? She was born that way. So like this, I, I've spent a lot of money doing this. Easton, uh, Pastor Fox's grandson, who's my nephew. He also, I have bought him a very nice Carolina outfit, and I hope that he's worn it a lot, but because they're important to me. Now, when I went to college, I was in Springfield, Missouri, and it was 17 and a half hours away from Chapel Hill, North Carolina, okay? And every year, at least once, I would save up my money, and I would drive 17 and a half hours to go to Carolina, watch a two-hour basketball game, and 17 and a half hours back so I could be in class on Monday. Now, that's crazy to some of you, right? But some of you are thinking, I could see myself doing that. Some of you have done crazy stuff for, for, for Cowboys games, right? Anybody? Anybody? Okay. So we got – all right. You guys can interact with me today. So we all have things that we like. And we spend money on. How many of you have a boat or a motorcycle or something that you spend a lot of money on and your spouse thinks it's crazy? Okay, a couple of you do. Some of you are lying about it. But we all have stuff that to us is very important, and we act on on that, right? Now, if you've lived long enough, there's been life situations that happen where that kind of has to be reevaluated, right? Now, last year, before our baby was born, Megan and I went to three Carolina games, three in one year. It was awesome. Since Kinley's been born, we live over in Virginia, which is only like three hours away from Chapel Hill. I haven't even been to one game this year because I had to, I had to change some things, right? I had to kind of reevaluate my decisions, and it hurts me, but my child is more important than North Carolina. Write that down. Tell her that one day. It's, it's, you're more important than North Carolina. And we've all seen problems happen when someone has an imbalanced value system, right? We've all seen someone that we thought was probably making – a bad decision. You know, Megan taught in, a, in, in an elementary school in Springfield, and these kids were so poor that they had three meals a day provided by the school, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And they'd come to school, have breakfast and lunch, and then they'd send dinner home, and, and they'd even send uh, a meal home on the weekend. And some of these kids w- w- would come back to school on Monday and would still be hungry. And Megan would say, you know, what happened? And this little girl would say, my mom took the food and she ate it. 
Now that that's crazy to me, right? I mean, I, I don't know if any of you think that that's okay, but like, I don't think my mom ever went hungry for me, but I know that she would have, if she needed to go hungry, she would have. And I would do the same thing for my child. I would do the same thing for my wife, but this woman had an improper value system. It was messed up. And it led her to do some things that were not smart, not, not wise, not beneficial for her family. And so I think it matters to all of us today, what's important to Jesus. I mean, if, if for those of us here that are Christians, we're supposed to be like him, right? So whatever's important to Jesus should probably be important to us, right? So let's kind of look in uh, Luke chapter 15. We're going to see what Jesus says about value. We're going to be in Luke 15, verse 1. Man, can he throw me that water bottle real fast? I'm sorry, I'm not supposed to drink in front of people because then all you guys are going to be thirsty. It's okay, sorry. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. It says this, Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Man, they, they never got it, did they? Those Pharisees and scribes, they, they never understood what Jesus was all about. They never got it. And so here's Jesus taking a chance to hopefully teach them something here. Let's look at verse three. So he told them this parable saying, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the, on the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep, which was lost. I tell you then the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, if she has 10 silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. No, Jesus was trying to get something across to these Pharisees and scribes that he values the lost, right? I mean, he, he valued the lost. And the sad thing is, is that the Pharisees and scribes were lost, but they thought that they were the godly ones. They thought that when the Messiah comes, he's going to come hang out with us because we're the ones that are godly. We're the ones doing the right thing. But when Jesus said that there'd be more joy over one lost than over the righteous, he was talking about them too. I wonder how many really righteous people in America are missing it, are missing the point, are missing what Jesus was all about. And after this, these two stories, Jesus kind of launches into the story of, of the prodigal son. And all of us have probably heard this a lot, right? I'm going to kind of recap it today. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But basically, there was this wealthy man. He had two sons. And uh, this was a society where the oldest son got most of the inheritance. And, the, and the, you know, the others would get pretty much nothing. Now, I'm the third boy, so I would have got nothing. But for whatever reason, the younger of son goes to his dad and he says, Dad, give me the inheritance that that's going to come to me whenever you die. But no, no now. And the dad, the dad does. The dad gives him his inheritance. I don't know why he did that, but the dad does. And it says that this young man takes all this money and he goes into a far country and he wastes all of his money on what the King James calls riotous living. I love that term. I don't know what that means, but I think we can all pretty much guess, right? What a riotous living is. This young guy takes all this money and he wastes it. 
And eventually uh, a famine falls onto this land, and this man who once was rich and, 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 and had servants of his own is now so hungry and so starving and has no money that he finds a man who will let him feed his pigs. And he's so starving that he wants to eat the food that the pigs are eating. Now, pigs eat slop, right? I mean, we all know that. But what about when it's a famine and there's not enough food for, for humans to eat? That's what this man wants to eat. I mean, can you imagine? This is how bad it is. I mean, he, he had servants and he had people taking care of him. And now he wants to eat the, the leftovers that the pigs are eating when there's a famine. And I love this verse where he says he came to himself and he realized, man, my dad's servants eat better than this. And I don't deserve to be his son anymore because I blew it. Right. I mean, it probably wasn't like, all right, dad and brother, I'll see you at Christmas. Right. It was probably like, I'm going to show you I'm going to be better than you. I'm going to come back richer than you. That's probably how he left. And now he's realizing my dad's servants eat better than this. And I can go back and I can beg my dad. I can just beg him, please. I don't deserve to be your son, but would you please let me be your servant so I can at least have something to eat? I mean, that's how bad this is. He's got to go back and face all of the stuff that he went through. And even worse than his dad, he has to face his older brother, right? I've, I've got two older brothers, like I said. There's nothing worse than trying to show up your older brothers and failing. <laughs> and, that's, and, and that's what he has to go through. This young man, and, and you can kind of tell as you read the story that he's like rehearsing his lines because the lines he says in the pig pen are the same as says to his dad. And he's walking on this path back home, and he's probably thinking like, man, what if my dad says no? What if my dad says you already had your chance? Like, what if my dad says yes, but then I have to serve my brother for the rest of my life, and he makes it miserable? I mean, all these thoughts are going through his head. It's like worst, like, like absolute best case scenario, I'm going to serve my brother until I die. That, that's best case scenario. But let's, let's let's pick it up here in verse 20, Luke 15, verse 20. It says this, so he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father to his slave said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. I mean, this is like better than the best case scenario that he could have ever imagined. And Jesus told this story to these Pharisees to try to get them to understand that Jesus values the lost and he's longing for the day that they'll return. I mean, let's look back there at verse 20. It says, while he, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him. And I remember reading this one time and it kind of hit me. You don't see something that's a long way off unless you're looking for it. Right. I mean, you don't see something that's a great way off unless you're looking a great way off. And this father was probably every single day looking out as far as he could see down the road over the hill and longing for the day that he would see his son coming back. He didn't care what kind of clothes he was wearing. He didn't care what kind of shoes he had or how much money he had made. He didn't care about any of that. Right. He just wanted his son to come home. And Jesus was trying to teach the people listening to him that this is how he is. This is why I am here because I value the loss and I want them to come to me. 
You can flip a couple of pages later in, in Luke 19, verse 10. This is at the end of the story of Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus was a short guy. I love him because I'm real short. And he wants to see Jesus, but he can't because he's short. So he climbs this big, tall tree. And as Jesus is walking by, he looks up at Zacchaeus and he calls him by name, right? He says, Zacchaeus, come on down. Long story short, they have dinner together and Zacchaeus gets saved. It's this awesome story. And at the end of all of this, this is what Jesus says in Luke 19, verse 10. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why Jesus came to this earth is to seek and to save the lost. Don't be confused. Don't be mixed up. I mean, it's not even like up for debate. Jesus clearly said that he came to seek and to save the lost. And I'm guessing that a lot of us are Christians in here. And and if we are, and, and if we believe that it is only through what Jesus did for us, And it's through our faith in that, that we have eternal life with him. And that the alternative is spiritual death and separation and torment in hell forever. Then how can we not value the lost? I I mean, we were once lost, right? I mean, we were once destined to be in hell for eternity. And because somebody told us, Because someone shared the good news of Jesus Christ with us, our life is forever changed. And we don't tell somebody about Jesus because it's embarrassing. Right? I do it. You do it. We feel God work in our hearts. Hey, why don't you share the gospel with this person? And we say, I don't have any time right now. What if they say no? What if they make fun of me? What if they're smarter than I am? Right? We come up with so many excuses. We all do it. I mean, they're living and dying around us today, right here in Decatur, Texas. They're going to die and go to hell forever. And we don't tell them about it. Uh, There's an atheist uh, who's a magician. His name is Penn Jillette. And uh, doesn't believe in God, hates the idea of God. And after one of his shows, uh, a guy gave him a Bible. And some of you may have seen this video on YouTube. He, he kind of posts a response to this guy giving him a Bible. And this is what an atheist said. I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect people who don't share their faith. He said, how much do you have to hate somebody to not share your faith? I mean, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and to not tell them that? He says, it's basically like a truck bearing down on a man in the road and you're yelling and screaming. And he says, at some point I tackle that man. And this is so much more important than that. I mean, how, how can we, if we know the truth and we know the alternative, how do we not tell people about that? A couple of years ago, I dropped my iPhone in the toilet. It was pretty embarrassing I don't even like sharing the story all the time, but it's, it happens. So I, I never drop my phone. I don't even have insurance because I always take care of it. And I'll spare you some of the details. I'll just say the toilet bowl was empty at the time. Well, okay, clean. It had water in it, but it was, it was otherwise empty, right? So it was like one of those slow motion moments. Like the phone's dropping. It's like, boom, boom. And I was like, no, 
we're trying to catch it. And it was like, you know, this fast, it falls in. I mean, it's like submerged. It's like at the bottom of the toilet bowl, totally submerged. And it was brand new. I had it for like maybe two weeks. And it was like less than a second, less than a second, right? That I was like in and out, right? It was like hand in, phone out. Like I didn't think about it. I didn't sit there and go, is there a cleaner option for this? I didn't sit there and go, when was the last time we cleaned this toilet bowl? Like I didn't think about any of those things. It was just like, boom, boom, hand in, phone out. It was like that fast. But let me ask you, if one of you came running in the back door right now and he said, Blake, man, my phone's in the toilet. Will you come get it for me? I don't know, man. Right? (laughs) It won't be as fast as I got mine. I'll just put it that way. Like, I have to think about it. Like, it's not that I don't like you. It's I don't value your phone the same way that, that you do, right? It's just... So the phone died, got the phone out. I thought I could save it, put it in a bag of rice, right? And it died. Then I had the older phone for like six, six weeks. And everyone was like, hey, I thought you had that brand new iPhone. And I was like, yeah, you know, it was embarrassing, man. Dropped the phone in the toilet, but whatever, it happened. And after it all kind of calmed down and I'd gotten over it and I had the new phone and it was all good to go, I, I realized something. You know, God reached in the toilet bowl of this world and he plucked me out. And I was covered in sin and shame and I didn't deserve it, but he values me. And, you know, he didn't just put his hand into this world. I mean, he sent his only son who would empty himself of of his own divine power. He would face physical pain, hunger and thirst. He would be despised and rejected of men. He'd be known as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He would bear our griefs and carry our sorrows. He would take the weight of all of the world's sin and he would put it on himself. And it would be so embarrassing to God the Father that his own father would have to turn his back on him because he couldn't watch. And Jesus would do all of that because he values me and because he values you. There's a worship chorus. Uh, That says this, God, you lifted me out. God, you lifted me out. And I'll tell all the world. God, you lifted me out. God, you lifted me out. And I'll tell all the world. I mean, that's the story of the gospel, isn't it? Right? That those of us who are Christians have been lifted out of our own sin. And now it's our responsibility to tell people about it. That's the story. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians 5. We're not going to turn there. I'm just going to kind of recap it for you. But in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul is writing to this church in Corinth, and he's trying to get them to understand this principle of, of what our job is. And he says, now that we are Christians, we no longer view humans just as, as physical creatures, right? Like people aren't just flesh and blood anymore. Now that we're Christians and we understand who Jesus was and what he was doing, we now see people as spiritual beings who have eternity in front of them. And because of that, Jesus, because of what he's done for us, we are now given what, what, what the Bible calls the ministry of reconciliation, the gospel of reconciliation. It's now our job as Christians to go tell people the good news. And he later says that we are now Jesus Christ ambassadors. Now that we're saved, we're Jesus Christ ambassadors. I looked up what the U.S. State Department says about uh, ambassadors, and this is the definition. All U.S. diplomats, every diplomat for the, for the United States has the same mission, to represent the interests and the policies of the United States. You have one mission, to represent the interests and policies of the United States. 
Now, let me ask you, if I was the ambassador to South Africa and I'm there and, and they start sending me money to help with AIDS work and they start sending me money to, to, to build schools and stuff like that, and I start going, you know what? I want to buy a boat with that money, right? Like instead of working on that, I'm just going to buy a boat. It's beautiful. I love the water. I'm going to buy a boat. And then more money comes, and you know what? I want to buy a nicer car. And I start doing these things. How long do you think I'm going to remain the U.S. ambassador to South Africa? Not very long, right? I mean, like they're, they're going to pull me out pretty fast. You know why? Because what I want and what I think I need literally doesn't matter, <laughs> right? Like it, it has no value to to President Trump. He doesn't care what I want or what I need. He only cares what the United States needs. And Jesus Christ calls us his ambassadors. And people, it it literally doesn't matter what we want. It doesn't matter. But every single day, I want a nicer car. Every day. Anybody else? Can you, are you brave enough to agree with me? <laughs> Megan and I went to that uh, car show down there in Dallas uh, two days ago. Man, it was hard. My car works great, but who doesn't want a nicer car, right? Who doesn't want a better house or a nicer boat or a better motorcycle or nicer clothes? We all do. That's like the American dream, isn't it? <laughs> but that is so contrary to what Jesus wants for us. No, listen, like, I'm not saying don't be comfortable. I'm not saying don't, don't enjoy life because Jesus has put, God has put all of us here in, in America. We should be comfortable. Like, it's okay. It's okay to have a clean house, a safe house, a nice car. That's fine. But at some point, you got to realize, I don't actually need this, and this is too much. That's for you to work in your heart with God. What do I actually need, and what do I actually want? Because, guys, it doesn't matter what... Like our interests and policies don't matter. It is our job as God's ambassadors to represent the interests and policies of Jesus. And that's it. And Jesus values the lost. Jesus values the lost. There was a little girl named June. June had six brothers and sisters. Big family. Her dad never wanted to work, so he stayed home. And his, uh, her mom had to work every single day, and they barely made enough money to survive. Her brothers had to go out and hunt rabbits and squirrels just to have food on the table. They were rough kids. They were ugly kids. They were rough around. I mean, like, if, you, if your kids were playing with them, you'd probably pull them back inside and say, don't play with those kids anymore. If you saw them on the street, you would probably walk the other way. They were some rough kids. And one day, an old lady named May knocked on their door. And she asked if she could take them to Sunday school. And the mom was probably just glad to have the kids out of the house, right? And so the mom said, please take them. So all seven kids load up on the station wagon. And the entire way to church, they're making fun of May. They're talking about how she smells and the color of her hair and how, how dumb her car is. And then May was their Sunday school teacher. So the entire Sunday school, they're disrupting things. They're throwing paper airplanes. They're making the other kids not pay attention. It was terrible. And the entire way back home, the same thing. They're making fun of May, all this stuff. And May finally gets them home. And May just goes home. And who knows what she went through that afternoon when she got home, but she probably just thought, well, God, I tried, right? It's not worth it. But seven days later, May showed up again and she knocked on the door and she invited him back to do Sunday school. And May did this every single Sunday for years, years and years. And when June was 11 years old, she was confronted finally with the realization that because of her sin, she was separated from God. 
And because of what Jesus did for her on the cross, she could put her faith in that and that would save her. That would restore that relationship. And she did that at 11 years old. As June was growing up, her her dad wanted to uh, collect the insurance money on the house. So we set the house on fire with all the family in there. Thankfully, that they all got out fine. The house burned down, got all the insurance money, and he bought a brand new house right across the street, the street from the church. So May didn't have to pick him up anymore, but that pattern had already started. And so every Sunday, June would put on her prettiest dress, and she'd walk across the street. She'd go to church. And during the week, she would dress up, and she'd go over there and let herself in and start playing the piano because she wanted to be a piano player. She loved it there. As she got older, she married a man who wasn't a Christian, but he was a hard worker. And that, that's what was important to her because her dad wasn't. So as they were living married life and, and doing just fine, making some good money, as they were pregnant uh, with their first child, her husband realized that he wasn't cut out to be a dad. He wasn't ready. And June did what Paul talks about in St. Corinthians 5, right? She bore that ministry of reconciliation. She took the gospel that Jesus Christ had put in her, she, and she took it to her husband, and he got saved. A couple years later, her husband surrendered to be a pastor. He gave up his high-paying job, gave up everything he had, and they moved to Bible college. He graduated from there. He started two churches, one of them in Lincoln, Nebraska, one of them in Madison Heights, Virginia. They had four kids. Their second daughter married the son of another pastor, and they had four kids. And they had Shane, Brett, me, and my little sister. And uh, after hearing the gospel hundreds of times and going to Christian school and hearing all of it, 20 years ago today, I got saved. I put my faith in Jesus. And because um, a little old lady named May, who couldn't have any of her own kids, Instead of being bitter and mad at God, she decided just to go out and hang out with some kids. And because she didn't give up on those rough, ugly kids, my little girl, Kinley, who's five months old, has already heard the gospel countless times. And I pray every day that she'll put her faith in Jesus. No, I I haven't met May, obviously, uh, but I can't wait to. I can't wait to see her in heaven. And to thank her. I mean, I, I owe my life to her. I don't know how long she, she put it off. I don't know how long she told God, no, they're, they're too rough. I can't do this. I don't know how many times she wanted to give up, but I'm glad that she didn't. I'm so thankful that she did it. You know, Megan and I lived in New England for a couple of years. And um, forgive us for this, but we're kind of New England Patriots fans. My dad grew up in Dallas. Hey, okay. I'll give you the full story. My dad grew up in Dallas, so I'm a Cowboys fan. Megan's a Patriots fan, but I, I do like the Patriots. I, I, I'll be honest. I like them. I, I, enjoy, I like the Cowboys more, but I do like the Patriots. All right, moving on. Let's get past it, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I didn't share that at the very beginning because some of you probably would have walked out. But anyway, there's a saying that the coach always tells the team, right? He always says, do your job. There's 60, 70 guys on a football team. And if they just do their one job, everything's going to work out. Like if the offensive lineman is trying to be a quarterback, it's not going to happen. It's not going to work out. You just accept your role and do it. And I can't help but think that when Jesus looks down at us, Christians, being distracted with life and with cars and with clothes and things like that, Jesus must just look down at us and say, guys, just do your job. You've got one job to do. And the only difference between me and Megan and you guys is the zip code. 
We're missionaries to South Africa, and you guys are missionaries right here in Decatur, Texas, and we all have the same job. We all have the same job. So I, I don't know where you are today. Maybe you're not a Christian, and this whole conversation has just been weird, right? Probably doesn't make any sense. I get that. But I want you to know that if you're not a Christian or whatever that term is, if you're not that, I want you to know something today, that Jesus values you, and he loves you. And becoming a Christian or whatever the, that terminology is, it's, it's much more simple than you think. It's just realizing that without Jesus, I'm lost. Because of my sin, I'm lost. And if I just place my faith in what Jesus Christ has already done for me, if I just place my faith in that to save me, I'm saved. It's that simple. You no longer rely on yourself to save you. You rely on Jesus Christ holy, and you're saved. And if you haven't done that today, you need to think about it. You need to consider it because if what the Bible says is true, it changes everything. If it's not true, then no worries, no sweat. Go out of here and don't change at all. But if it is true, it changes everything. So think about it today. You can't leave here without considering it. Come ask questions. Come find me. Come find Pastor Ron and say, hey, I got some questions, man. I don't understand this stuff. Can you, can you help me here? Don't leave today without doing that. And if you are a Christian, Let's kind of look at our value system. Let's kind of reevaluate. Where, where is God telling me to pull something back or, or, or push something more? Maybe God's challenging you right now, and, and God has put a name in your heart and your mind right now. Maybe it's a family member or a friend, coworker. Just don't go to bed tonight without sending them a text, just saying, hey, I was thinking about you today. I want you to know that I love you. Today. Let's make a difference. Let's do our job, Christians. All right? Let's do our job. Life is too short to waste. Let's do what God's called us to do. Let's pray. God, I I thank you so much that we have your word. I thank you that we can look at scripture and we can find out what was important to you. We can find out what you valued. We can find out uh, how you lived your life. And Lord, help us to live like you. If there's someone here who's, who's not a Christian... Lord, I pray that you would speak to them, that today would be the day of salvation for them. I pray that you would change their heart and their life. For those of us that are Christians, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us as well. Lord, may we be inspired and encouraged today to reevaluate our values and see how you would have us change for your glory and for your honor, Jesus. We love you and we thank you for saving us. We thank you for the hope of the future. I mean, you get the glory, the honor, and the praise today, Lord. In your, in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, stand with me. Let's all just bow our heads.